and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show with five, four, three, two, one, let's go. Let's go. Welcome to a Friday edition of Tim and Friends Long Weekend. We're, we're just waiting for a massive news dump yes. that's going to blow up the lineup of the show. <laughs> I kid, but everyone in the control room uh, is sweating, just uh-huh. waiting for it to happen. Uh, no Tim, as I hit my microphone, no Jesse Rubidoff, but lots of friends and yep. replacement level hosting, uh, or less than replacement level. I'm Donovan Bennett, joined by Jesse Fuchs. We do have a Jesse in the house. Uh, neither of us, however, have a clause in our contract saying we have to study for four hours a week. No way. But that might change by the end of the show, for me anyways. Uh, Jesse, this is a long weekend. That's mm-hmm. not changing. But I feel like this is the long weekend in the calendar for Canadians that we often forget is a sure. long weekend, right? Like, civic holiday. Like, oh, wait. my. Not everybody gets it off. It's true, true. Especially if you work in this yeah. industry. Of your long weekend power rankings, because we all have them. Yes. Naturally. Best long weekend (laughs) is Uh, Labor Day. Okay. Talk to me. Is that controversial in some way? I know that like that signals the end of summer, but look, man, I'm not built for summer. I'm hot (laughs) 365 days of the year. Middle of February, I walk around in a t-shirt. I don't do the summer. So the wait, fall wait. is my time. <laughs> September 1st, the weather is nice. It's like 20 during the day. Oh, man. I have 10 so at many night, questions. you throw some pants on. You know, life is good. I have so many questions. One, Please. I love that your rationale is based off of temperature. Like, there's a lot of life. ways I thought you were going to go temperature. T-shirt in February. Please, Lord help me. I hope I, hope I know the answer to this. Yeah. Are you, you're, are you the guy, please tell me you're not the guy, are you the guy who is the first to wear shorts guy? No. Like, it's like, you see a glimmer of the sun in late February, early March, it's like, I'm wearing shorts because I can. No, I'm not that guy. Okay. I, Thank, I try to thankfully. dress weather appropriately, but the yes. thing is, I just throw out the window because I'm always warm. Yes. There's no need for me to put on shorts because if I wear shorts, I'm warm anyway. Well, opposites do attract, and I am the opposite because I love the heat. Okay. I have West Indian blood. I hate being cold. I... Really, I have like an indifferent relationship with air conditioning because <laughs> I love being hot all the time. However, my choice is the same as yours. Ooh. It is Labor Day, but it's are we agreeing this early in the show? We That's are. Dangerous. We are. Yeah, first time. What are we going to talk for about? everything? And first time in this show. I, it's all about the CFL football. Okay. Labor Day is like the real start to the CFL season down the stretch. You got some NFL cuts coming into the CFL, which means the NFL is about to start. U Sports training camps are in progress, so that you can see my rationale solely based off of the football calendar. That seems reasonable. I, like over the years, mm-hmm. this weekend is actually building because you got OVO Fest, you've got Caravana. It's close, but I'm also like becoming an old man, and I hate traffic. So it's still Labor Day for me. <laughs> Okay. But I would say that this weekend holds special place. I, like, the, the upset is that you didn't say the weekend that has the best branding in our country, and that would be May 2-4. Even that was going to be second It doesn't choice. fall always on the 24th. Yeah. I thought that's where you were going to go. That was, I thought, the leader in the clubhouse. Well, May 2-4 is also spring, also an acceptable <laughs> temperature. So May 2-4 is fine as well. So we agree on Labor Day. If you have any other suggestions, send them in. We'll see if you have any better thoughts. But uh, coming up, 
Lots coming up. We're going to talk MLB trade deadline with MLB Network's Anthony Castro-Vince and the latest news around the Blue Jays with Ricky Romero. He will be in studio. I will slide over there. We will all fit. And it's Friday, of course. We've got a brand new edition of Thank Golf. It's Friday. You know, we have to have a Jesse on the show, so we're doing Thank Golf. It's Friday. Yeah, you're keeping that streak. Yeah. Uh, I'm here to line. help. Uh, and, and we've uh, always asked for help from mm -hmm. our friends on this show. We got help. On this show, even before the show, I actually caught up with Howard Megdahl of thenexthoops.com earlier to better understand what the latest developments in the Brittany Griner saga means. We've talked about this on the show extensively. That's coming up in the next block of the show. But before all that, why don't we start things off a little first things first? Let's do it. First things first. All right, the Blue Jays got back in the win column last night, taking the opener over the Tigers 5-3. Matt Chapman hit two home runs, and Yusei Kikuchi was, well, usable. He pitched five strong innings in his return to the rotation, but not all good news. George Springer left the game in the ninth due to elbow discomfort, and Bo Bichette seemed to be in pain after colliding with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And as a result, both Springer and Bichette are out of the lineup for tonight's game against the Tigers, which is on Apple TV Plus, by the way, not on Sportsnet. Can't do anything about it. Stop yelling at us. Please stop yelling. Thank you for not yelling. Uh, Kevin Biggio is going to lead off at second base. Then uh, you're going to get Zach Collins, the rare sight from Zach Collins, DHing in the ninth spot. Now manager John Snyder gave an update on their statuses a short time ago, starting with Springer. He's available off the bench. Uh, we were trying to get him a day off this series regardless uh, before the off day, so um, he's he feels fine. Probably looked worse than it did last night. Um, so he's available if we need him, but just kind of giving him a blow. That was the first time he seemed to have that level of discomfort on the swing. Was, there, was it the wear and tear beforehand that contributed towards that, or was it something specific to that swing maybe? Probably a little bit of, of everything. Uh, fifth at bat of the game, diving play, couple throws. He was kind of all over the place. Um, and, you know, he's been dealing with a little bit of soreness too. So it was just kind of, I think, the overall impact of the game yesterday. And with low today, is that any fallout from the collision of the yeah, banged it up a little bit. He's a little bit sore today, um, but I think it's one of those things, just kind of being really careful with him. He plays every single day and um, not trying to push it, especially at this point in the year. I know it's getting a little bit late, but we definitely need him going forward, so just kind of playing it smart with him. He looked to be both sort of shaking out his wrist a little bit, shaking out his shoulder. Was there something specific that bothered him? Uh, just his shoulder a little bit, not his wrist or anything. Um, but just kind of just general soreness. So it was just a, a weird play. Um, so just a little bit sore in his shoulder. Left. General soreness? Taking it day by day? I think we know what this means. Oh, that was, yeah. We're panicking, right? General, are you, I'm worried. How, how concerned are you here? I, I'm not, not worried. Is that an answer? Listen, a, a couple things. So, the Bichette one, yeah. it's more annoying because it was so avoidable, right? Mm -hmm. Like, playing you know, minor league baseball or softball, one of the first rules is the outfield man coming in gets the ball. Like shortstop only takes over when it's in the infield. And so, it, it's not like there were 40,000 there last night. Yeah. Uh, I was there. It, it wasn't a raucous crowd. So, you should have been able to hear... Creole calling for it. So, so, so that's the one thing is that it's just sucks. But I actually am more concerned about Springer because okay. 
he, he had the beautiful diving catch early. And you can see that although he was trying to make the catch, he was trying to make sure that he didn't land on that elbow. And the most athletic part was after he made the catch to, to do the stop, drop, and roll. We're not even into August yet. Yeah. And he's managing his way through ball games, still playing at a high level, but he's someone you're going to need in September. Certainly going to need setting the table at the top of that lineup if you're making a deep run in October. And we saw a year ago the vast difference in this club when he's in the lineup and when he's not. And so that worries me because anyone who's hurt their elbow before, it's one of those things where it only hurts like when it hurts. Yep. When you're extending it or when the ligament is moving. It's not like an ankle where it hurts all the time and you kind of just get used to it. So I, I'm worried about Springer more than anything. But, yeah, I'm panicking on, on, on both. Really? Panicking? Yeah, 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 yeah. All I would say is, that, you know, there's two months left of the season. We have a lot of games to go, and as of right now, the Jays do have envisions of going deep into October. If Springer's banged up now, sit down for a bit. The Jays can survive 10 or 15 days, two weeks, without George Springer. I think we can do it. So my thought is, let's not push him any further than it needs to go. And you do have to take John Schneider at his word. If he says he's a little banged up, it's not something to get freaked out about, then for now, I'm going to try to keep it, keep it locked down. For now. Despite the fact that I hit the panic button. I have a general rule. I never take managers at their word, especially when it comes to health, and especially if they happen to be the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. But I... I I, we look at it the same way. We just have a different outcome. Yeah. I think the season is so long, and we're dealing with this now, which is why I'm panicking. You're saying the season is so long that gives you the runway to let it settle down. I, I'm not panicking to the level where I think that tr- changes what you do in how many hours is it? What do we got? 90, 97 <laughs> hours? Right? Yeah. I, I don't think it changes what you do in, in 97-ish hours. Uh, I think pitching is the real concern there. But... Uh, I, I am somewhat concerned, no question. Okay, let's move on to something that's more positive, perhaps, which was Yusei Kikuchi last night through five strong innings. I'm going to use the word serviceable because okay. that's what it was. It wasn't a quality start. He didn't, you know, absolutely blow the doors off of the Tigers, but he was good, a performance worthy of a fifth starter. So now that he's... Perhaps right once again, what does that do for the Jays' approach at the deadline, you think? Absolutely nothing for 200, please. I don't think it changes <laughs> the perception because I think the concern was not about Kikuchi giving you quality starts, right? We, we, it wasn't just two outings ago. He went six innings, one earned run, eight strikeouts against Tampa Bay. The concern is even after he does that, you aren't – left with any confidence that in five days or six days, he's going to be able to do that again. And so the outing after that, he goes two and one third, walks five, didn't strike anybody out. And so I love the fact that he got up to 94. I love the fact that as much as we've talked about the sinker, the cutter, and the hand placement and the grip, really the issue was can he throw his fastball for strikes? Mm -hmm. And he had the fastball command. I, I, I do love that. I just don't feel confident that he's going to be able to repeat that performance because as much as he's worked on some things mechanically, I think at the end of the day, it's it's, it's probably something that's up here. Yeah, and of course, the Tigers lineup, not the strongest in baseball. And here's what I think of in terms of the approach for the deadline. Guess how many healthy starters the Blue Jays have? Five. (laughs) 
That's it. There is no depth. Thomas Hatch yep. has not looked good. We haven't really seen Max Castillo. He's pitched True. okay in spots. True. There is nobody else. Hunjin Ryu is not coming back to save the day. No. If you think you're getting through the rest of the entire Major League Baseball season, which we've established is very long with five guys, you're not doing it. It's not happening. you got to acquire somebody. Yeah, and I'll raise you the five, and I'll ask you about three. Because I, I think we're somewhat, knock on some wood, certain this team is going to make the postseason in We're some hopeful. Yeah, very hopeful. form or fashion, right? Yeah. It would be, be a serious drop. Do, do you have confidence that you have three starters that you feel good going into a, a series? I, I, I don't know right now you're there. And, and certainly Kikuchi would not be one. If you're there, he's someone who presents as maybe a long man out of the bullpen. I, that's why I think regardless of what Kikuchi just did, you need to address the starting rotation at the deadline, not just for, mm-hmm. for this run, given Ryu and his health, you're going to need additional starters for the next year or two to full out that rotation. Okay, I agree. All right, with the trade deadline just four days away, the two biggest questions are, of course, where will Juan Soto go and will the Angels trade Shohei Otani? Could they really? Now, last night, the New York Post reported that the Angels were listening to offers for Otani for the first time. Our buddy John Morosi suggested the same. Meanwhile, the Padres, Cardinals, Mariners, Dodgers, Rangers, reportedly the favorites pursuing a Soto deal with the Nationals right now. DJ, these are two not just good players. These are generational unicorn type talents that could be available. So how do you see this shaking out? I've gone back and forth on this <laughs> probably 25 times in the last week and a half because there are many compelling reasons why both players should be moved at this deadline. Mm. The Angels are a mess. The Angels mm. are a mess. They're the only team that I can remember in the modern era that was both plus 11 and, and minus 11 uh, in the standings in the same season. Uh, in the last 13 years, they made the playoffs once. They've got a generational player, but he's probably going to leave them because they haven't been able to pair him with the other generational player they have in Mike Trout mm-hmm. and win anything. But he's still arguably a top five position player and a top five pitcher in the same body. And how do you want to evaluate that? And how do you give that up? And then in terms of Juan Soto, he's 23. And any combination of prospects that you get back, you're going to hope that any of them are, what, half the player he is, and that would be a success? So how do you really give up on him? And, And if you're not getting the deals that you want right now, do you just run this back and do it in the offseason when there's potentially more bidders and when the mm-hmm. teams in contention might be willing to give up you know, players off of their roster to do it? I'm not really sure how this plays out because I don't know how you build an offer that makes sense. But I also don't know how you let generational talent just leave your building for nothing. I want to see them move because I want to see them play in yeah. the postseason. Yeah. How do you see it playing out? Well, Arden Zwelling said it best, which is if you're trading for Juan Soto, you're trying to get Juan Soto. So for the Nationals, the player you're getting back the other way, you're hoping turns into Juan Soto. Well, you already have him. So there's no point in dealing him. But if he's not going to sign, you have to do the best that you can. Now, of course, the Blue Jays aren't necessarily rumored to be leaders on this front. But our buddy Jim Bowden, MLB Network, tried to put together a trade 
package that might work for Blue Jays fans. So this hypothetical offer was Soto, Steve Ciszek, and the enormous albatross of a contract that is Patrick Corbin. He makes like 140 million bucks over six years, and he's awful. For Gabriel Moreno, Aurelvis Martinez, Ricky Tiedemann, who is a prospect who is running up the ranks real fast, Miguel Geraldo, and cash considerations, so a truck's worth of money. Yes. So that would be, seems to me like, the Jays' best offer they could make. Would you do that? Not only would I do that, Every Blue Jays fan watching this would do that. And, no, and, they wouldn't. Oh, I think. Oh, goodness, I no. Sur- Have we met fans? Do you know how attached you- fans get to anybody that they see have, as having value? Have any of these fans watched Juan Soto play baseball? He's I hope 23. So. There are prospects being rumored in deals in this deadline that are not much younger than Soto is. So, of course, I, I, I want to meet the fan who would not do that deal, and I want to ask them some serious questions, like what have they been doing with their life? <laughs> He's generational. Right. The defense, yeah. we're not going to talk about it. But in terms of the power and the plate approach and the patience, like you're looking at a younger version of, of Barry Bonds in terms of plate approach, you know, without the other plus tools. But the point is, of course you do that deal. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure there could be enough cash considerations to make it work. Uh, the Corbin piece is interesting. Like, sure. We, that's, we, that's a salary dump. We, we'll take yeah. it. You know, the Nationals have said they're not going to devalue any potential haul from Juan Soto by tying him to Corbin. But if someone's willing to take your problems, you might just let them. Mm-hmm. But, yes, of course. I quite, I quite frankly don't think the Nationals would feel like that's enough. But if that was offered, I certainly would take it. Wouldn't you? Absolutely. I mean, again, we're agreeing way too early in the show. But, yes, if you have prospects, you trade them always, all the time. But you know what? We're, we're going to send it out to the people. We're going to tweet this out, tweet out a poll. Would you take that deal for Juan Soto? And we'll see what the fans have to say. Now, on, on the front of Otani, which is not only the fact that he's a marketing, like, pot of gold. Of course. Is the fact that the early reports say he wants, like, 50 million bucks a year he wants the single highest value contract per dollars per season when he's going to hit the market at 30 years old so is that the right for the angels i don't know but we got to move on and we're going to move on to the nfl and the latest in the kyler murray contract controversy last night the cardinals released a statement saying they had removed the addendum from murray's contract that mandated four hours of weekly independent film study Details on the contract were leaked, because they always are, on Monday, and Murray lashed out at critics in an impromptu news conference yesterday. DJ, is he mad at the wrong people? Perhaps he should be wrong at himself, because they don't put a clause in that contract if you've been studious. Uh, Just guessing. I'm going to go to one of the great sports philosophers to break this down, because I think it's it's quite simple. Uh, And they once said... No one can make you feel inferior mm-hmm. without your consent. I'm going to say that sure. again for the kids at home. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. That was Eleanor Roosevelt, mm-hmm. of course, as you know. Listen, Kyler, I'm not sure why you're screaming at the Associated Press. Your club put the language in the contract. Mm-hmm. Your agent brought you that contract. You then signed it and asked what the payment schedule was, theoretically, we assume, because you're mad about it, 
your club leaked that information to the media who then did their job. The issue is the Cardinals don't believe that you do your job when they're not looking. So they're trying to force you. Mm -hmm. In the same way where my parents said, if you don't do your homework and get X grades, you cannot play sports. They are saying, if you don't put down the video game controller, you don't get your money. <laughs> Pick up a buck. So for him to go on this diatribe about what his record was in high school mm -hmm. and, and what College. he's doing at his side literally has nothing to do with what we're talking about. And quite frankly, Kyler, most of the media was on your side, mm -hmm. saying that the Cardinals were either, one, dumb to leak the information, or two, dumb to pay you that much guaranteed money if you don't study. So I'm not really sure why he was lecturing us. Do you know why? Uh, he's, well, he's lashing out. He's angry. It's now embarrassed him, which has become a series of embarrassments over the last couple of months. This huge contract issue, and he's mad. He's young. He hasn't learned. He's still trying to learn. But there are more than one contract issue right now in the NFL DJ. Of course, the other one is Lamar Jackson. Uh, he wants a new deal, hasn't got it from the Ravens yet. Uh, complicating the matter, he's representing himself. <laughs> so that might make things difficult. Now, he's got a lot of haters, and he was asked yesterday about how he deals with all the haters. I mean, I guess this is what comes with it, you know. Um, when, you, when you're trying to be great, you know, when you're trying to work your tail off, it's going to be negativity. But, you know, they hated Jesus. And I'm not Jesus, so I don't, I don't really worry about it. Now, I don't know what that means, really, uh, when I try to piece through it. But he, he's trying not to listen to the anger. And it's, but if I look at if you're comparing the two and you have Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray, why is Kyler worth $230 million and Lamar Jackson is going to get a stalemate? Are you kidding me? One's been an MVP. Yes, uh, and one has changed the way they play offense for his franchise. And, and the big difference to me is Murray is 22-23-1 as a starter in three seasons. And the Ravens have continued to win in one of the mm -hmm. most difficult divisions in football with Lamar Jackson. He and his mom are representing him. That's fair. I, uh, I, I forgot mom. I'm oh, sorry. That was bad. Oh, no, I'm just saying his mom is entirely different than mine uh -huh. because there's no way Cleo Bennett would let me take the field for OTAs or training camp without a signature, mm -hmm. given the fact that his athleticism is why he's a dominant player. And if he loses any of that, that might change the number that he signs for. But he's betting on himself. Uh, I, I guess he would say that Jesus also bet on himself. Sure. Uh, I am one of the 12 disciples that believes Lamar Jackson should get his money. But I, I'm, I'm really, really surprised that it hasn't happened at this point, which means that he might be going Kirk Cousins' route. And Ooh. no, I'm not taking this offer. I'm going to play it out, and I'm going to get to a point where you either have to franchise tag me and pay me the average of the top five salaries in the league and let me eventually get to unrestricted free agency, and we'll see what the open market is willing to pay me. They're so far away. The fact that he's playing now lets me believe that they're not close and there isn't going to be a contract signed. Yeah. You know what, though? Sign me up for the Lamar Jackson revenge Ooh. anger season. Get him on every fantasy team you possibly can. Okay. It's going to be big. Now, 
That's it for now. Still to come, Ricky Romero going to join us in studio, of course, talking the Blue Jays, Anthony Castro-Vince on the looming MLB trade deadline. We've got the ticker somewhere, 97 hours away or so. Our good buddy Justin Dunk on Week 8 in the CFL. And after the break, DJ catches up with WNBA Writers Association Chair Howard Megdahl to discuss the Brittany Griner situation. It's Tim and friends with Mostly Friends. It's Friday, a long weekend. Times are good. Chapman jumps on one and laces it into left field, and it's gonna go! Chapman rockets one, a deep drive to left, and you can forget it! Second home run tonight for Matt Chapman. Here to discuss it all with us is Justin Duncan. Dunk, Jesse wants me to call this segment Dinks and Dunks. This is what we do, Dunk. Do. This, is, this, is, this segment is clearly Dink and Dunk. No, it's Dunk University is what it is. Taylor Pendrick, how about this 31-year-old rookie from Canada? He's birdied his first four holes. Yeah, he has been knocking the flagsticks right out of the hole to start the round. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Donovan and Jesse here with you on a Friday at the beginning of a long weekend. It mm -hmm. feels good. And we're talking about a potentially good thing, which is a potential Jays trade for Juan Soto. Now, we put out the poll to you, the fan. Now, you're, just to be correct, you said every single Blue Jays fan would go along with this. Now, I said they certainly should. Uh, you're still very correct so far. Um, do you guys need me to pull up? The results? Um, well, I can tell you right now, it's about 80 to 20. Who are these 20% of people? I hope it's like 8 to 2, basically. That only 10 people have been able to vote thus far. I, 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 I do not understand. What is your plan for elite baseball moving forward mm -hmm. if you're not willing to put all the chips in the middle of the table in this window when you still have elite players at low salaries, relatively. Yep. To do I've got it now. now. Sorry, I'm there a little slow on the tech. No, it's no, my no. second day. No, it's fine. Anyways. We, we let it breathe. Uh, talk to me. Like how, and actually, it's gone down. So, so evidently, I should stop talking. And I'm I clicked yes. People. I added to our vote total 979 votes so far in a very short period of time. It Look, better be, 80, it better 20 be a sounds frivolous right, fight in the comments. And as soon as I'm <laughs> off the air, I'm going to be quote tweeting the hell out of people. Like, yeah, I'm come too on. afraid to scroll down, uh, frankly. But that's how Twitter works for me most of the time. Uh, but that's, that's a good cross section. 80 20 is good. You don't get 100%. Yeah. You no. just don't, right? Well, you should. And, and listen, I think uh, if we pulled our viewers and, and, and audience members on this, we would get a 100% cross-section that uh, we would like to see Brittany Griner return home. And this week, the Biden administration announced it offered a deal to Russia for Brittany Griner's release. The U.S. State Department has offered a prison swap that would grant the American release a victor bout. As of today, Griner has been detained for 162 days. Howard Megdahl, founder and editor of the Nine newsletter and writer for thenexthoops.com, has been covering Griner her entire career and reporting on this situation closely since day one. He joined me earlier today to discuss what the latest developments mean. Howard, as you know, the Biden administration has offered to exchange a Russian's armed trafficker for Americans Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan. This is the first concrete action they've acknowledged taking to secure her release. Were you surprised the State Department was so public about this right now? 
I was. It's interesting that they are willing to go public. Essentially, a Cliff Notes version of this is every time the American government is willing to go public, there's a good chance that there's been movement. And every time the Russian government is willing to go public, there's a good chance that there is not movement and they are looking to score uh, political points in that moment. And so clearly the Americans being willing to have this conversation publicly and say, look, here's what we're willing to do. Not only is it a big potential trade offer in what they are doing, it also is very encouraging that they're willing to do it publicly. You mentioned the Russian officials. The Kremlin acknowledged on Thursday that discussions involving the possible release of Griner have taken place, but said they should not be conducted on a public stage. Does the public nature and sheer celebrity of Griner threaten the ability to get her home safely? I, I think it does, just in the sense that to the extent that the Russian government believes that it can use that to its advantage to extract further concessions, to uh, show the relative powerlessness of the United States government, I think it is a problem. Now, to the extent that the United States is able to provide Russia something of greater value uh, in their eyes than that public uh, embarrassment, it leads to a potential for a deal. But at no point is the Russian government particularly concerned with uh, let us say, Brittany Griner's well-being, you know, that that never enters into it. And so that, of course, makes things dramatically more difficult when you're trying to extract her from a dangerous situation. So the State Department isn't the only institution that people are really asking tough questions of in terms of getting Brittany home. People are asking the WNBA to be able to move the needle. Is that fair in relation to the powers that WNBA executives have at their disposal? I don't think it is. I, I, it's perplexing to me that if the Biden administration itself has only so much that it can do to bring Brittany Griner home, well, everyone wants to see that happen, to ask the Women's National Basketball Association to be able to do that strikes me as just an organization that is simply not powerful enough for the test. And that's no negative reflection on the WNBA. There's no sports league that would be able to do what is necessary in order to end this standoff. This immediately became a referendum on why are women going overseas to play sports professionally in the first place? Will this impact the amount of players who play overseas moving forward? I think it will impact in a couple of ways, and I've written about this, that you will see players going to different places playing overseas, potentially. I, I, I know there are agents who simply will not send their clients to Russia, though Russia would like to bring players back. And so there's going to be that element of concern, I think, in people's minds. Look, it, it, hindsight is twenty twenty, but it's fair to wonder why Brittany Griner was uh, allowed to board that plane. Uh, just a week before Russia was invading Ukraine, you know, the, the winds of war were very clearly blowing in that direction. Uh, and I, I think a lot of people have questions about why that happened. But are there agents who are bound to determine to make sure that doesn't happen to their clients? Absolutely. Some people have questioned the symptoms, but not really looked hard at the root causes. Why is the financial pay structure and economic model for female players so different in a country like Russia? 
than it is in North America. It's very simple. The WNBA is a long-term value proposition trying to grow a league sufficiently to be able to have long-term success. Now, whether they would be able to get there by dramatically increasing pay to players is something that I know a lot of people differ on. I uh, certainly believe that with the NBA involved, you could dramatically increase it. You're going to, I think, see a dramatic increase in how much women are paid uh, when the new television deal is agreed to within a couple of years. ESPN has an absurd bargain with what they pay uh, for WNBA TV rights. They pay $25 million this year, it goes up to 33 by 2025. Uh, you compare that to Major League Soccer, for instance, which has similar ratings, had an old deal at $90 million a year. Their new deal is $250 million a year. So there's that amount of money in live television and an understanding that it's not a serious economic model that doesn't treat women's sports as valuable as men's sports for that reason alone. Uh, so that all goes into play with how much women are paid. But what are they paid overseas? If a basketball team is an oligarch's vanity project, then it doesn't really matter how much you're paying Brittany Griner or Diana Taurasi or whoever goes over there because there's no such thing as an economic model. And so that allows teams to do that. But it's not sustainable. You know, that is the ultimate boom and bust economy. And so making sure the WNBA continues to grow is fundamentally the way that the best basketball players in the world are able to get paid to play when they're women for years to come. In the short term, the only focus and real intended goal is to get Brittany Griner back on American soil, back with her wife. But if we take a step back, good, bad, or indifferent, what do you think the lasting legacy of this entire ordeal will be? I think it will, among other things, lead everybody to think twice about the way the sausage is made. I, I think everyone's going to look very hard in a way I don't think they have for the last 25 years about what regimes you are supporting by going to play in particular countries, how not paying players enough is going to have knock-on effects for what they are doing. And so we have a very interesting, it's a critical point in WNBA history too. There's something called prioritization coming. It's part of the new collective bargaining agreement that was signed in January of 2020. And what prioritization means is that players are not going to be able to report late as they have for the duration, for the history of the league after their overseas seasons end. Uh, next year, they need to report no later than the start of opening night of the regular season. The year after that, they need to, and this is with certain exceptions for players um, who are in the first couple of years uh, are exempt from this. But the year after that, they need to be here for day one of training camp. And so that's going to force players to decide. Well, the WNBA has a responsibility to make salaries as high as possible, as soon as possible, in order to make that as attractive to these players as possible when they are choosing. But tumult overseas is going to mean players are thinking twice about where they're going to go and some markets being closed, even if Russia offers 
uh, large amounts of money to players. There are going to be a ton of players and responsible agents who are going to say no to that on their players' behalf. And so a game of chicken is really going to take place over these next couple of years. It's going to help drive that decision. And we may find it turns out to be the thing that leads to the ultimate success of the WNBA in finally being the prioritized league. Well, in cases like this, sunlight is often a great disinfectant. You've shone a light on how that sausage is made and maybe given us all reason to pause and ask some serious questions. I hope the next time we talk, it's about Brittany Griner's impact on the court and the implications of that. But thank you so much for this, Howard. It's my pleasure. I hope that very much as well. All right, coming to back for the break, we're getting radically Canadian. We're going to look ahead to the weekend and see if that's still the tagline, right? Yeah. No, it's yeah. not. Oh, sorry. Can the Bombers stay unbeaten? Can just a fourth Canadian win the MOP? We'll discuss that and more in Dinks and Dung. Our balls, Next. Our balls are still bigger. Yeah, that's true. Welcome back. Week 8 in the CFL underway. Ticats beating the Alouettes last night. Moved to 2-5 and five in a tie with the Owls in standings. Tonight, Nathan Rourke and the Lions take on Cody Fajardo and the Riders in Regina. Saturday, the unbeaten Bombers in Calgary to face the Stamps. And the week wraps up on Sunday as the Argos host the Red Blacks at BMO Field. It doesn't seem like Justin Dunk will be in attendance, but he's still covering the league at all times because look at him at the cottage, a palatial estate. You know what's real when he joins us with the Ray-Bans on, sun shining in English. Uh, Justin, thank you for making the time uh, on your acre of land. Acre. <laughs> My man, I always got time for anyone on Tim and Friends, especially Donovan and Jesse, we're on the shores of Lake Huron here in beautiful Tormore, as you can see behind me. I had to rub it in a little. No. Like, Dunk, are you supposed to be watching those children right now? <laughs> like, are we taking oh, you away from your uncle duties here? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. They know what it is, though. They don't have to throw and kick the ball a bit. Yeah, they're just kids. They'll figure it out. Well, I, I hope <laughs> you're not supposed to be the concussion spotter as they're doing the Oklahoma drill behind you uh, because <laughs> you would not be doing that job. But we're thankful that you're doing this job. The Dinks and Dunks segment or Dunk University on vacation, but we appreciate you making the time. Let's start with the, the concussion spotter in the game that we saw last night. Trevor Harris fighting for some extra yards, trying to start the late rally, gets hit late, flag 15 yards, but meant that he had to come out of the game and it ended up being the last play in the game. Harris was not happy about it. Danny Machocha was not happy about it. Quite frankly, I don't know if it should have been a penalty, but it was. But when you saw the way the game ended and Davis comes in in relief because Vernon Adams Jr. is hurt and throws the game-sealing interception, you thought what when you saw the way it played out? In my mind, I thought that the concussion spotter was erring on the side of caution. The player safety in the CFL has been paramount. It's something the Players Association and the league have talked about multiple times over recent CBAs. So I can understand it from that perspective, but I can also understand it from, you know, Alouette's owner Gary Stern was vocal on Twitter that he didn't like it either. And Trevor Harris said he felt like it was messed up, that he was pulled from the game. I understand you want to be on the field. I thought of you and I have been there. You don't want to come off in those situations. But if we're going to talk about player safety, 
we got to be real about it so I can understand the concussion player taking Harris off the field. Well, we have been there, and we both know that quarterbacks, sometimes they lay on the ground for a little bit. They're trying to get that flag, <laughs> yeah, trying to get those 15 yards. And so sometimes when you're keeping a little too, you know, acting and keeping it real, sometimes that, that bites you. So, so we'll see. All right, let's keep talking about those prima donnas. Yes, quarterbacks. yes. Uh, Nathan Rourke <laughs> is in action tonight. Now, Doug, you know me. I am team Real Deal Rourke. I want the guy to throw 50 touchdowns this season. But do we have to pump the brakes a little bit on anointing him MOP and MOC and, yeah, you know me? Because <laughs> multiple picks in three weeks in a row. Is there something to be concerned about here, or am I just being the non-CFL guy? No, there is a little bit, Fuchs, and I love that you named him the real deal, man. I really dig that. Yeah, so I think he's going to bounce back. To me, it's part of the ebb and flow of being a franchise guy, and especially in your first season as a full-time starter, right? Defenses are going to watch the film. They're going to figure out some of your tells that maybe Rourke doesn't even know about, and they're going to throw some different looks at you. So until you've been a veteran in the league for a number of years, like Zach Laris or Bo Levi Mitchell or the like, then you're going to see some things that you've never seen before from defensive coordinators. So in my mind, that's what's happening here. And part of it, too, is the Lions haven't blown out teams like they did in the first couple games, right? That's why you're seeing some of these interceptions, because he's had to pick footballs or try to at least in tighter windows. So I don't think there's concern yet. We can't annoy him MOP. I mean, he might be the MOP of the first part of the season that's been played already, but that's it. We know it's a marathon, not a sprint in the CFL. Great point. I'm going to disregard everything that you just said because <laughs> even though he's, he, he's plateaued a little bit, the numbers, and we saw them, yeah, are still okay. staggering. A lot of ones on those ranks, and he still has a game to play this week. All we have is the body of work, and after the first third of the season, for me, the leaders in the clubhouse for MOP are in the West, Nathan Rourke, in the East, Andrew Harris, who's still running mm-hmm. the rock hard. Last time I checked both of their passports, it said Canadian. That is something, honestly, I could not fathom as a fan of the game, as a kid, playing the game, or even at the beginning of my career covering the game. And now I don't think it really surprises people. Does it surprise you? Is that something we should take stock in and celebrate? It doesn't surprise me from the fact of playing Canadian University football and seeing these talented athletes and knowing that they had the ability to do this. But from the perspective of them actually getting a chance and fighting through the politics, it is surprising. But it's great for the league in my mind. We can see in the traffic on Three Down Nation that anything about a Canadian quarterback, Nathan Rourke specifically, does really well. People want to see Canadians in those starring roles. Anything about Andrew Harris, the same thing. He's the first Canadian to run for over 10,000 yards in the league. And you laid it out there very well, Donovan. I don't think there's anybody else in either division that's even close right now to being in that MOP conversation. It's Nathan Rourke, it's Andrew Harris, and they're on a tier of their own. You know, we're talking about quarterbacks, and so few actually make the progression from the CFL to the NFL. There's not a lot of examples, but Doug, we got Chris Strebler getting a look with the Jets. Uh, Quarterback situation with the Jets? Eh, Not so good. Undecided. Uh, How do you feel about him? Honestly, with Chris Trevler and the Jets, in terms of him breaking training camp with the team, it's a long shot, guys. I know you're kind of iffy in the quarterback situation, but they spent a really high draft pick on Zach Wilson. Joe Falco is a veteran Super Bowl winner. 
And they got Mike White, who had a little bit of mania going on in New York last year when Wilson was out of the lineup. So I think the depth chart stacked against him. But the key for Strevler is he's going to get, based on what I've been told, some reps in the preseason, which means fresh film. And what he's going to need to do with those reps is show that he's improved as a passer to look forward to his next contract. Another critical aspect here, a lot of people saying, well, Strevler going to come back to the CFL right away. Guys, he's six games away from getting that beloved NFL pension. So he's going to do everything <laughs> in his power to stay in the NFL for six more games to get that pension because we all know how much that would mean to the pocket. Okay, enough quarterback talk. I can't take it anymore. Uh, I'm here for the petty <laughs> and for the drama. Duke Williams claims he did not spit on Shaq Richardson, as was claimed by uh, Ryan Dinwiddie, head coach of the Argos. Uh, you guys at Three Down Nation covered this. I think we need Andy Cohen to have like a Real Housewives-like after show to figure out what's going on between these two teams. Who do you believe? I believe Argos head coach Ryan Dinwiddie. I was in the room after the game, and he was some kind of way about it, hot and bothered, and wanted to let it be known that that's what he was told from his players that had happened, that Williams had spit on Shaq Richardson twice. Now, the interesting part to me and the evidence I will present is that Duke Williams was not made available to the media or, in another way you could put it, did not come out to face the questions from the media and deny those allegations. So, in my mind, that shows a lot right there. I was in the press room, guys. It was literally about an hour from the time the Argos took the podium at Touchdown Atlantic until somebody from the Riders showed up. So they well knew, based on Twitter and how quickly stuff gets out there these days, what was being leveled at Williams. So that right there makes me believe Dinwiddie, because then Williams doesn't speak about it until like almost two weeks later, guys. And yes, he was serving the one-game suspension for throwing his helmet, so he probably wasn't going to be made available to the media for that reason. But still, in my mind, if you're going to deny it, right away then i might believe you mr williams the fact that you waited so long makes me believe the argos well i believe everything you say dunk so thank you for this <laughs> uh also dunk uh the kids behind you have disappeared uh so you failed as an uncle uh we're gonna let you go because you need to get back to work thanks buddy yeah, i better go find him guys <laughs> all right hollywood Cottage dunk is gone. Now time for a break. On the other side, as the trade deadline approaches, we look at the latest in the Otani and Soto sweepstakes, plus who the Jays could be targeting on the pitching market. MLB.com's Anthony Castrovince joins us next, plus Ricky Romero in studio. It's going to be great on Tim and Friends. Time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. That's right. Thank you, Sheepdogs, the friends of the show. Starting to feel a little comfortable in this big studio. Back here for hour number two on Tim and Friends. Full hour on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. I am alongside my guy, Jesse Fuchs. Uh, how are you feeling in that chair? You, you're making it yours. It's, it's leather, okay. so it's a little warm. We, we discussed my, <laughs> my issues with temperature. Temperature so again. I'm a, it's, it's toasty, but it's okay. Like Normally, Sportsnet Central, which is the normal show I do, we're done taping it at 2 a.m. Eastern time. Right. Uh, this show, I'm told, will finish before that. So I'm in favor of it. Well, I, I, we talked about contracts and clauses. I love that you negotiated, I'll do the show, but I'm not doing it from 
Jesse's tiny desk. Like that's not. No, happening. I'm just too this, big for it. This Jesse is, is. Look how small it is. This Jesse is a grown ass man. I'll be at the big desk. Yes, I, I'm. You don't want to see me sit there. Like my my belly would go over the top. I might knock it over. It would just be a bad scene. But well, I, I love that you're my wingman right here. This has been fun. All right. Well, Ricky Romero and Anthony Castro Vince are on the way this hour. Plus, thank golf. It's Friday. Still mm -hmm. going to pay homage to Jesse Rubinoff, but let's get to the news. Defenseman John Klingberg finally finds his new home. The unrestricted free agent signs a one-year deal with the Anaheim Ducks, reportedly for $7 million. The 29-year-old had 47 points in 74 games with the Dallas Stars last season. During his eight seasons with the Stars, Klingberg led Dallas Blue Liners in scoring seven times. The one-year term comes as a huge surprise as Klingberg chooses to bet on himself, we've talked about that in the show, mm -hmm. for the upcoming season in hopes of a bigger deal next offseason. That's right, and the Jays looking to make it too straight over the Tigers as they send Alec Manoa to the mound. A reminder, tonight's game is an Apple TV Plus exclusive game. You can hear it on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. The Jays will be back on Sportsnet tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, email Tim Cook if you're mad about the Apple TV Plus thing. Not our fault. Uh, the Jays lineup looks like this to face Brian Garcia. If you haven't heard of that guy, uh, we're with you. Uh, no George Springer or Bo Bichette. Springer was pulled in the ninth last night after wincing in pain on a couple of throws and a swing while Bichette collided with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. on a pop-up. Manager John Schneider updated their status earlier today. He's available off the bench. Uh, we were trying to get him a day off this series regardless uh, before the off day, so... Um, He's, he feels fine, probably looked worse than it did last night. Um, so he's available if we need him, but just kind of giving him a blow. That was the first time he seemed to have that level of discomfort on the swing. Was, there, was it the wear and tear beforehand that contributed towards that, or was it something specific to that swing maybe? Probably a little bit of, of everything. Uh, fifth at bat of the game, diving play, couple throws. He was kind of all over the place. Um, and, you know, he's been dealing with a little bit of soreness too. So. It was just kind of, I think, the overall impact of the game yesterday. And with low today, is that any fallout from the collision? Yeah, banged it up a little bit. He's a little bit sore today. Um, but I think it's one of those things, just kind of being really careful with him. He plays every single day and um, not trying to push it, especially at this point in the year. I know it's getting a little bit late, but we definitely need him going forward. So just kind of playing it smart with him. He looked to be both sort of shaking out his wrist a little bit, shaking out his shoulder. Was there something specific that bothered him? Uh, just his shoulder a little bit, not his wrist or anything, um, but just kind of just general soreness. So it was just a, a weird play. Um, so just a little bit sore in his shoulder. Right or left? left. All right, so let's continue. The Blue Jays in baseball conversation with MLB.com's Anthony Castro Vince. Anthony, we've been debating as to the level of panic, the level of concern we should have about the recent injuries. I think we're more specifically talking about George Springer being banged up on July 29th. What's your take? I mean, George Springer, it's amazing when you look at his track record of how his teams perform you know, with him in the lineup versus without him. And, and some of that is coincidence and, and whatnot, but he really does have quite a track record there between his time with the Astros and the Blue Jays. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's certainly a concern. Um, you know, we, we've dealt with, generally speaking, in MLB in the last couple of years coming out of the pandemic, uh, shortened season, that, you know, injuries are always a part of the game, but they're definitely a part of the game these days. And you just got to roll with the punches. But um, he's obviously a, a premier player and impact talent. 
And it's unfortunate that thus far in his Blue Jays career, injuries have been a, a major part of the program. So um, that's a loaded lineup even without Springer, but uh, he is such an igniter when he's in there. You said premier player, impact talent. That makes me think of Juan Soto. And actually, there potentially <laughs> could be a couple Good that segue. move on in this deadline and Shohei Otani. The question, though, is as much as we talked about it, and it's certainly gotten us and you a lot of page clicks and a lot of conversation, do you think we'll actually see players at that level move at this deadline? Well, first of all, I could have said, you know, peanut butter and chainsaw, and you would still be thinking about Juan Soto. That's just <laughs> yeah, the environment. Right. I could have said any combination of words, and Juan Soto would have come front of mind for you and for all baseball fans right now, and why not? Uh, this is a very special talent, uh, a very unusual situation. Um, as I wrote in this piece that you're showing there, I mean, there's really no clean, like totally clean comparable. The closest we have is Miguel Cabrera when he was traded by the Marlins to the Tigers. He was a year and a half older. Um, he was obviously established and won a World Series, much like Juan Soto. So that's probably the best comparable we can come up with. And, uh, you know, you look at the package the Marlins got and all these years later, it doesn't look so good. Uh, but, you know, you this is a guy you you load the boat for you know you 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 do whatever it takes to get him but will some team actually do that in an environment in which people are so risk averse and prospect friendly you know uh the 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 future potential is is often weighted more than what is right in front of your nose you know uh, for better or worse so I don't know. I think each day that goes by, um, this this is going to sound obvious and yet not obvious at the same time. Each day that goes by without a Juan Soto trade makes, makes it less likely that there's a Juan Soto trade. And what I mean by that is, I don't see this this like deal coming down at 5:59 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday with the six o'clock deadline. I think if the Nationals are going to make this trade. It's going to be in the next few days. Uh, I don't think they're going to let things get to the final moments and make some rushed emotional decision. I think they know what they want. And it's just a matter of one of these teams ponying up the prospects it will take to get Juan Soto. And if their price is not met, I, I think they take him into the winter. And at that point, maybe you have new ownership in place. Maybe by then you revisit the contract extension talks, or maybe you just revisit the trade talks when he will still have a tremendous amount of value, even though it's one left less playoff run without him. Well, Anthony, you kind of sparked my brain when you talked about comparables and of course in baseball terms it's really hard to find you had to go back to Miguel Cabrera well what about a comparable based on sport if we're looking at the NBA someone demands a trade every other week it's like half my job <laughs> so this yeah. has not been a trend in baseball to this point but essentially Juan Soto is forcing his way out the difference between him and Kevin Durant isn't so drastic other than age is does this you think starts perhaps a new wave of guys who are unha unhappy going look I want out now. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, his way of forcing his way out is, is turning down $440 million, which uh, not, a, not a lot of players are in a position to do. Um, obviously, the wrinkle there was it was spread over 15 years as opposed to, you know, 10 years or 12 years. Um, so that was the, the point of consternation there. Um, but it is interesting that it's, it's really too bad. They've had some big contracts blow up in their face there in Washington. Patrick Corbin deal has not been a good one. Steven Strasburg deal has not been a good one. And very quickly, it's not that you couldn't really see this coming, to be brutally honest. When they won in 2019, it didn't feel like, you know, that was going to be a sustained contender. Uh, they had some age. Uh, that was part of their charm is they had a bunch of old dudes uh, on that roster and, and won with them. 
Um, and then they had this crazy young guy doing crazy, you know, amazing things. Um, and unfortunately, to this point, had not been able to build around him. And to do so with the current state of the farm system will be difficult. So it could be best for both parties, frankly, uh, to do a deal now or maybe a few months from now. Um, because, again, if they're not going to do a higher average annual value, um, they should absolutely you know, be looking to trade Juan Soto while they can capitalize on a value. Because th this is not a team that's going to be contending in the last two years of control of Juan Soto given everything we know now, you know, something would have to change pretty drastically. They'd have to have a lot of pleasant surprises and very good signings. And it doesn't seem like they're, you know, going down that road. Um, again, a new owner can change things in a hurry, but you know, I, I don't see it. So, um, so to answer your question, you know, I, I don't know if this becomes a trend in, in baseball. I, I think this is a pretty unique circumstance. You know, this is a very, uh, gifted player who's had a, uh, really, there's only a handful of guys you can really compare to him historically to have this strong an offensive start to his career and in uh, any unique circumstance where that's coming on a team that's probably ready to turn the page in general and, and to start thinking several years down the road. I love the fact that you mentioned Cabrera as a comp because the Tigers fans, whether it's in Detroit or Windsor, I don't think are sitting around saying, man, we gave up. Cameron Mabin and Andrew Miller, jeez, <laughs> right. missed their primes. So I'm sure you saw potentially the, the tweet that Bowden had out, and we, we talked about it on the show and asked our, our audience members whether you would do this deal for Juan Soto. And whether it's Juan Soto or Shohei Otani, I'm not sure how the evaluation on prospects goes with him because he's elite at two positions. It's something that looked like this, we're talking about you know top four prospect level stuff. Would that make yeah. sense to you? Uh, you know, what I hate about this proposal is the Patrick Corbin element, because mm -hmm. I'm thinking from the Nationals' perspective. And I think Mike Rizzo even addressed this just the other day, where they have no need to dilute uh, Juan Soto's trade value by attaching a bad contract. Granted, this is a heck of an easy way to unload a bad contract, is to attach it to Juan Soto, you know, sneak it in there, so to speak. You're not really sneaking it in there, because you're you're not going to get the same prospect capital back, but it's a, it's a great way to unload some money. That's for sure. But, you know, if I'm the nationals again, this is, this is like, it's been compared to the Herschel Walker situation, you know, uh, a legendary trade in NFL lore where it, it's such a rare opportunity to, to really capitalize on a player's value. And, and why would you mess with that in any way whatsoever? So that that's really the only element I don't like about it. But as far as giving up, you know, top four, I mean, yeah, at a minimum, you're going to give up, uh, you know, two or three of your top five prospects. Like, that's at a minimum. That's a starting point, and then you go from there. Or young major leaguers. Um, the Blue Jays are interesting because they do still have some pretty good prospect capital uh, to their credit. That, that comes with this really, you know, in the last five years, they've, they've worked to put themselves in this situation where they can go get the pieces they need. And to think about a year ago, they trade for Jose Barrios, and then, of course, they trade for Matt Chapman last winter. And to still be in a, even in the conversation, you know, realistically, uh, for a player of Soto's caliber, it's, it says a lot about the strength of their system. Okay, so if the Jays look to, <laughs> hope you're okay there, uh, cash yeah, in <laughs> on some of those prospects, if you're not going to send them all to, you know, either the Angels or the Nationals for those two generational players, maybe they need one to get some of the guys who are on the market perhaps to help with pitching. Who are realistic targets for the Blue Jays. Yeah, you know, and, and this is honestly where my head would be. It's not my team. I don't run things over there. And it's probably for the best for everybody in the in the great country of Canada that I don't run things over there. But I think pitching's 
you know, a bigger concern. And we mentioned this, the George Springer situation that that's that's certainly front of mind right now. But I think that uh, where they should be most aggressive is probably on the pitching front, be that a couple of bullpen arms, you know, high leverage arms to to lengthen things in the bullpen or in the uh, starting department, like you just said, to get another front line type guy or maybe just a mid rotation guy. But, you know, this this team could actually absolutely put the pieces together to get a Luis Castillo or Frankie Montas. And boy, I, you do that and it changes the complexion of the Blue Jays in a hurry as a playoff team, you know, in terms of your optimism, your uh, just uh, general confidence that they can advance deep into October as opposed to just getting to October. Um, so I, I really think that that's, they have a really good lineup. You could, yes, there are things they could do to get more balance in that lineup. Yes. Juan Soto is on everybody's mind right now, and he would he would be great. And now I mean, forget about it. I mean, that'd be amazing. But October, really, it's still so much of it comes down to pitching. And while the Blue Jays do have a lot of quality arms, do they have enough where you feel anything can happen in October? But do you feel confident about a deep run? I'd feel a lot more confident about a deep run if they had at least one more high leverage arm in the bullpen. And you know, hey, Luis Castillo or Frankie Montas would be pretty nice in that rotation. It's so funny. Happiness is about expectations. And I love the fact that you're just setting the expectations for Blue Jays fans. <laughs> when you get that push alert for Gregory Soto, it's okay. You can be happy that it's not uh, Juan Soto. You're still going to be okay. We're always okay when we talk to you. Looking forward to reading you and following you as we approach the trade deadline. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you, guys. I wish I was in that nice new studio with you, but it's, it's nice to be with you all the same over Zoom. Maybe we can make it happen one day. Thanks, Anthony. <laughs> Thank you, guys. All right, when we come back, it's Friday. If you haven't heard, Jesse Rubinoff may not be here, but you got me. Sorry. Uh, we still have Thank Golf. It's Friday with a Canadian making a charge at the top of the leaderboard highlights and a Golf Town gift card giveaway. Next. Studio still looks new. It's still holding up pretty well. Welcome back to Tim and Friends, Jesse in for Jesse, mm -hmm. and Donovan in for Tim, but thank golf that it is Friday. That's right, thank golf it's Friday, brought to you by Golf Town. <laughs> Love that animation there. Uh, this is normally Jesse Rubinoff's segment, so it's only fitting that I do it for him. If you, you know, don't look at your screen and put it on mute right now, we both look and sound exactly the same. There you go. Hopefully, there's a golf game in your future this weekend. If you're staying home, you've got three tournaments to watch or stream. You've got the Rocket Mortgage Classic. LPGA is the Scottish Open. Brooke Henderson has withdrawn to get a little bit of rest. And, of course, if you're into cheering for the, what is it, the Smashers, the, the Thrashers, the, the Prancers, the Vixens, Comets, <laughs> Cupid, whatever the team names they have for the Live Golf thing, they're in New Jersey at Trump National Bedminster. Well, we're beginning with the PGA Round 2 Rocket Mortgage Classic. 24-year PGA veteran Rory Sabatini. Tee shot. Oh, wow. Ooh, oh, yes, yeah. he did. Jars it for an ace. Par 315th worth a bow. Nice lit. Too. Very nice. Meanwhile, Richmond Hill, Ontario native Taylor Pendrith approach on the second. Very, very nice. Lands in tight. Leads to a birdie. Then Pendrith, third shot at the par 5 fourth. Also very good. Leads to another birdie, his fourth straight. Wow. To start the round, he's cooking. Par for 10th, Pendrith. Approach shot. Oh, come on. It's nice again. Hits it, sticks, short putt left. 
for birdie and on the ensuing putt, the 31-year-old knocks it down, moves to 14 under. And then later, par 5, 14th, Hendrith now tied for the lead with Tony Finau. This third shot, again, a piece of magic. He birdies to retake the lead at 15 under par. He's now back at 14 under par. His round uh, is currently through 16 holes, so he could retake first spot before the day is done. Now, round two, Scottish Open, LPGA. Par three fourth, two-time major champion, Lydia Ko, tee shot. This could be an ace. Give us another one. Oh, two in one day? Oh, that's Almost. cruel. Now, she still makes birdie, of course. Next hole, par five fifth, Ko, second shot, 200 yards to the front edge of the green. I don't know why that's important, because the green looks like it's massive. <laughs> but she gets a nice roll. That leads to an eagle later. Ko on the green at the ninth, birdie pot. Oh, red beautifully. It's good. Ko, the leader at 14 under after two rounds. Meanwhile, Canadian Maud Ami LeBlanc is tied for 10th at 8 under. As I mentioned, Brooke, getting a little rest. She's not at this tournament. And Live Golf's third event, the Bedminster Invitational from New Jersey. That's Donald Trump's course. Par 3 7th, Louis Oosthuizen. Tee shot doesn't like it. We know where it's going, right? It's only going one place. The drink. In the water. Now, Oosthuizen, third shot, this one a little better, but it's going to bounce in the water. You know Again? what, though? It doesn't matter because he's still going to get paid. <laughs> it's this. He doesn't have to play good. You're not wrong. Uh, this is his fifth shot. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, this is the live golf. Doesn't matter. 100 million. Love it. He's nine shots off the pace. Again, doesn't matter. Meanwhile, Henrik Stenson making his live debut. Stripped of Team Europe's Ryder Cup captaincy earlier this week. Par four first. Stenson's approach sticks it in close. As you're going to see, leads to a birdie. Finishes at seven under and in a tie for first place. He's tied with Patrick Reed. His second shot on the par four fifth. It's nice. Like inches away. Nice. Leads to a birdie. He also shoots a seven under 64. Reed and Stenson share the lead after one round. I got a t-shirt cannon? Yeah, they can do what they want. T-shirt cannon. Love it. Golf. They did that. That's $100 million in that cannon. Golf needs a lot of things. I don't know if a t-shirt cannon is one of them. I mean, that's just, that's just me. Graphics look that, nice, I though. Think, I do think t-shirt cannons should be in golf, but that's okay. All right, folks, this is it. Our last come out and play challenge. We've seen Tim, Ken, Colby, and Carolyn go head-to-head -head each week to see who is the, well, we're looking for the best golfer, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been a thing. Well, uh, Colby's challenge, make or break this competition, will it? Well, today, we got to crown the overall champ. Who will take home the trophy and the bragging rights? Let's take a look. This is the fourth and final come out and play challenge presented by our friends at Golf Town. Colby, you hold the keys to the final challenge. Standard golf style, except for one thing. We got to wear our gloves, hockey gloves, that is. Oh my God! Oh, he's got the Gary Roberts helmet on. Yeah. Atta boy, Wendell. Took you a while to get up here. We were making ourselves look good. Oh, God. I'm out. Look at this touch. Yes, Colby. Oh! Got it. Yes. Out of
Well, that does it for the first ever Come Out and Play Challenge presented by Golf Town. Good job, buddy. Way to go, buddy. Thanks, old man. <laughs> oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah, no one's surprised the kid beat all of them. I'm, Not here. But I love the fact that the kid gave it to them after. Shout out to Preston. You should well, get a t-shirt cannon for that kid. Uh, we're also giving away another $200 Golf Town gift card this week. At Tim and Friends, we asked you to send in your tackiest golf attire and drum roll. Do we have a drum roll? Should I have hit the drum roll on the thing? Okay, fine. We have a winner. Rob Pimer? Pimmer? Sorry if I got that wrong. Uh, the Flamingo Pants Pink Shirt takes home the prize. DJ, uh, those are definitely pajamas on the bottom. Would you have worn this to a golf course? Hell no. But uh, did he just rent an outfit from Ken Reed's closet? Because yeah. I'm pretty sure I've seen Ken wear that on air. Pretty sure I've seen him wear it golfing. So, no, I wouldn't wear that, but I'm, I'm not really a, a pink guy. That's the uh, Ken Reed collection coming to a <laughs> winner's own golf near you. And that was Thank Golf. It's Friday. Thank Golf. It's Friday. Brought to you by Golf Town. We believe adventure starts at the first tee. So come out and play. Ken does need a collection. We need to work on that. <laughs> Time for a break. When we come back, former Blue Jay and all-around good guy, Ricky Romero, will join us in studio. We'll ask what he saw from Yusei Kikuchi last night. Plus, look ahead to Alec Manoa's start against the Tigers tonight. Tim and Friends, it's Friday. I think Ricky might wear Ken's collection. Yeah, why not? I will. Yusei Kikuchi returns. The Blue Jays do believe in the changes that he's made. They believe in the talent. They believe in the player. Springer comes on and makes a terrific sprawling catch out in center. Now Jonathan go back to the mound. And what a play by Kikuchi. Chapman lines it down the line and it's gone. a boy, Chappie. He stays hot. Chapman got all. This one is second home run of the ball game. It's his first multi-home run game of the season. Springer sends one right center field. Looked like he hurt himself on the swing. And the Blue Jays take the opening game of the series by a score of 5-3. to three. Welcome back. A good win for the Jays last night. The bad news today is both George Springer and Bo Bichette out of the lineup after looking gimpy in last night's game. Springer will be available off the bench tonight while Bo is considered day-to-day -day at this point. A reminder, tonight's game is available exclusively and for free on Apple TV+. The Jays are back on Sportsnet tomorrow, but Ricky Romero is back on Sportsnet right about now. And also looking like he's an agent. Like, I, like he's about to take <laughs> up the phone. Like, baby. Sorry, okay, how much? Right. For, I just, I just what's know, the term? I just know okay. that if I'm going to be on a show with you, I got to look A plus because you're always looking good, man. Well, you look much better <laughs> than me, and we have the same styles, which means that you're just better looking than me. Because you're, yeah. So year term, okay. So I need you to paper that for me, right? So I, I, I think you're going to be like, you know, the the Spanish uh, Boris and just be the next massive agent. You never know. Well, never you know. never know. Uh, but until that day, we're just going to work you and get all your baseball insight, uh, specifically when it comes to pitching. And we were at the game last mm -hmm. night. Uh, we saw Yusei Kikuchi miss some bats, throw with some velocity, throw his fastball for strikes, things that we haven't seen consistently. Based off what you saw 
and it was the worst offensive team in baseball. But based on what you saw, do you believe we could see that consistently moving forward? Well, that's that's the biggest question: is the consistency? Can he can he keep it rolling? And that's been the question mark this whole time. But the good thing is that he did look free and easy from his from his mechanics. I mean, the, the fastball command was there. The body language was there. It just seemed like he had a little bit of that umph to, to, to his fastball. Like he'd throw one and then he'd kind of recoil back. And you just kind of sense that he was feeling himself a little bit, which is a good thing. And that's, that's, how, that's what they were trying to, say, trying to say in getting him feeling more athletic. And, and that's what it looked like yesterday, last night. Now, Ricky, you say being usable is kind of the bare minimum. Like they absolutely need this. We talked about how many available starting arms the Blue Jays have that they somewhat trust, it's five. That's it. Like, you've been through playoff runs before. You've seen this dance. You need more than five arms, right? Well, I mean, I never personally went through playoff uh, teams because my teams were never really that good here. (laughs) (laughs) But in watching, yeah, it's all about depth. And if you're able to have depth. But in the playoffs, usually you run about three, four guys out there, and you have that fifth guy just in case for long relief and stuff like that. So, yeah, Yusei Kikuchi, I've been saying it. He's going to be a key to this rotation for that reason because he's a guy that can throw hard. He can, And if he's able to throw strikes like he did last night, and I, I get it, it was a Tigers, but it's still 15 outs in the big leagues. It's not easy to get, and you got to give him credit for that. The big reason he got those outs was because of Happy Chappy. The guy playing <laughs> outstanding at third base. Started the year playing great defensively. We saw that last night. But now the bat is really starting to come in the month of July. Low-key, especially given you know some of the health considerations of the big players. Like Low-key, he's been arguably the most valuable player on the team. Yeah, right now, Chappie's been on fire, man. And I'm happy for him because he, he had a tough first half. And he was a guy that hit the ball hard and he just... He was unlucky, and I had a chance to talk to Guillermo Martinez this morning, and I asked him, I was like, what, what is it that you guys are working on? And he's like, we're trying to simplify his drill work. We're trying to uh, get him t- to stay through the ball a little longer, work up the middle, and, and get his hands out. And, and it just seems like it's working out for him, and you're seeing the, the, good, the good swing paths. And Guillermo you know, mentioned, too, that he's a hard worker. He's a guy that's going to come in and, and get the job done, and he's a tremendous leader in that clubhouse. And he said even when he was not going well offensively, he was still a vocal leader in that clubhouse. And it just seems like he's kind of fit into this, the mold of this team and where they're trying to get to. And again, Martinez was a guy that, that, that I feel like a lot of people early in the season were like, oh, yeah, like what's going on with the offense? And right now the offense is rolling and he deserves some of the credit. Hmm. And the Blue Jays have needed his back because now we're talking about two new fresh, maybe minor injuries, but Bo Bichette and George Springer not playing tonight. Uh, I guess the focus is more on Springer because he's had a more of a checkered health history than Bo Bichette. How concerned are you about Springer? Oh, man, it's just that <laughs> him making that kind of that move with his elbow kind of looked a little weird. And But I'm going to trust in what John Schneider said last night, that he's, he's fine and it was just one of those things where maybe he tweaked it a little bit and it's going to be something that he probably has to play with the rest of the season. And we saw it with Bryce Harper before he went down with that broken hand that he was going to play through through an arm injury, and maybe he DHs more often than he plays center field, but we've seen how valuable he can be at the center field position, so you hope that it's nothing serious and that he can come back as soon as possible because, again, it's, it's a good, I guess, the positive is that it's, it's they're playing the Detroit Tigers, and mm. it's a team that they can handle, hopefully, these next uh, couple games, and and hopefully they get him back on the horse and he's able to come back next week and, and be, be good, or this weekend. 
Yeah, so you're new to this media thing. I never trust the manager, ever. <laughs> like, what is he going to say? Yeah, you know what, guys? He's going to need a scope in the offseason. It's looking pretty bad. Like, of course he's not going to say that. Um, <laughs> it, it, speaking of being honest, Alec Manoa, like, he's new to being a star because he just tells you anything. And I, I love the fact that you love Manoa. Like, you have a man crush on Manoa and his approach. What is it about both his command on the mound, but really his personality that you love so much as an admirer of his game? Well, I think it's what you see in the dugout. You never really see him sitting down, even during his starts, which is rare because starting pitchers don't do that. It's almost like a, I'm going to sit down, don't bother me, I'm going to go out there and do my thing. He's like on the top step, talking, joking, and I think that's what I appreciate out of him. He's, it's all like in fun and and he's like a giant teddy bear man when I walk into that clubhouse sometimes and and he just like gives me a huge bear hug and it's like dude like you, he's a massive human being yes. <laughs> and again it's just him having fun going out there and, and enjoying the game and I think he understands where he come where he came from the struggles that he that he had as a young kid and right now it just seems like he's just going out there and just playing for fun well, you called him a teddy bear, but no, yeah, he's, I, he's, he has a bit, of a, a bit of a streak in him, right? We saw it, uh, I think, in his last start against the Boston Red Sox. Like, the guy can get fired up. Oh, yeah. Are, do you like that about him? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, and it, it's just his persona, right? I mean, it's just a guy that he's going to come out and he's like, gonna, I'm into it. Oh. He's, he's going to give you everything he's got. And he's, you see him right there getting pumped up. And obviously, hitters are going to not like it when, when mm. you do that st- stuff to them. But... Again, he, he's he's a he's a guy that's enjoying the game, and you, when you watch that highlight of him in Boston and he's going to the dugout, he's just laughing. He's just like, you see what I just? It, I don't know what he said, but it's almost like, see what I just did to them. Like, yeah. and and it's it just seems to be right on hand on who he is as a person and as a player. What I love is when I watch him. He enunciates, so I don't even have to strain to read his lips. Like, I know exactly what you just said. Sometimes I got the PVR, I got to rewind. Like, what did he just say? Like, no, I know exactly what you just said. Uh, Not safe for work. Um, Speaking of work and that working environment, you obviously called the Rogers Center home Mm -hmm. for a long time. We're looking at new renovations over the next two years, maybe a bit longer, given some delays. This is my initial read on on the, the drawings that I saw. I actually think we're talking about fan experience, sightlines, whatever. I think personally, this is about the players and a, a winning advantage in terms of getting free agents in here, 5,000 square foot weight room, new clubhouse, uh, a, a family room that will be state of the art, getting fans right on top of the players, whether you're a visiting player or cheering for you know the home bullpen. We could talk about, like, you know, selling tickets and the experience. I think this is about putting themselves in a position to secure more free agents or extend players they already have. How do you read the $300 million investment they're putting in over the next couple of years? Yeah, it definitely goes hand in hand. I mean, I think it, it's for the players and it's for the fans. And we saw what they did in Dunedin, Florida. And everyone that, that has stepped foot in those facilities says this is the greatest facilities ever like, that we've ever set foot on. So obviously that's a selling point there. Now you do this to the stadium, it's an even bigger selling point. You walk into the clubhouse now and I'm like, wait, you guys are renovating this place? This place is unbelievable. But obviously you got to move in with the times, with the new times and, and the stuff that's going on. You see all these stadiums being built, these state-of-the-art stadiums. So obviously you want to keep 
up, and I'm glad they're doing that. Again, it, the fan experience is going to be fun. They're, they get to be closer to the players. They get to watch them warm up and all that stuff. The bullpens are raised. Now you're at eye level with the field. You don't have to – some players are uh, – or some relievers are up on the perch. The other ones are down below, and they're all just all over the place. So now they're, everyone's going to be together. And just – yeah, and overall, the fan experience, I think, it, it just feels like it's patio season, and it, it really is, man. I mean, that's, that's, that's yeah. what uh, Toronto's all about. But be honest, as a pitcher, when you saw, like, there's – Basically zero foul territory. You shed a little tear. Uh, I mean, is there zero foul, foul territory? It went from I believe the third most in Major League Baseball to you know you look at the drawings. <laughs> Not much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, second is, most. Just, Only I, Oakland has more. My mistake. Yeah, Oakland is pretty nice. I'll tell you that <laughs> from experience. <laughs> but um, it's one of those things. Again, yeah. I mean, obviously, when when you have smaller foul territories, you you. You, you care about your left fielder and your right fielder and making sure that they don't run into those walls at, at high speeds. But, uh, yeah, to me it's just, hey, go out there, make pitches, enjoy this beautiful stadium that they're about to redo and, 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 and get the job done. Yeah, we'll see if you say that when someone's spoiling like 20 pitches <laughs> in the first step back. All right, well, we can't have you here and not talk about the trade deadline because I don't know if you know, we have a ticker. I know. We're down to like 95 hours and 35 something or other. And while you're here, we've got to talk about pitching. I know Juan Soto is the big name, but we got to start with pitching. You're Ricky Romero. If you're looking at the market right now, who do the Blue Jays go get? Who is the guy that's like, that's the dude? Ooh. I mean, if you're talking starting pitching, yeah, Luis Castillo, obviously. <laughs> he's he's a guy. Frankie Montas is obviously another guy. Uh, those are the two top guys I think that everyone's been talking about, and we've seen what Castillo's track record is and what he's been able to do in Cincinnati, and and it's almost like. The trade deadline came, and all of a sudden his game just went mm-hmm. up a little bit higher and higher, and it just keeps getting better and better. And I feel like the price is going to be getting higher and higher. So, if, I mean, obviously, if there's a chance that they can get him, depth is going to be key. Obviously, it always is for pitching, and the more pitching you have, the better. And yeah, I mean, but then there's a, that other guy out in Anaheim, right? That everyone's <laughs> What's his talking name about. Again? Yeah. <laughs> please, 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 please. Babe Ruth, what? Oh, it's yeah, the entire farm system. Everybody right? in Buffalo, you're going to <laughs> California, wherever their affiliates are. Before we let you go, because it is market and supply and demand, like any economics, and mm-hmm. it, it will dictate the cost and the availability. When you look in division at you know Baltimore, who traditionally is a seller, but potentially the way they're playing might be a buyer. Boston, traditionally a buyer, but based on their playing, might be, want to be a seller. How do you think, and, and obviously the Yankees have made their first move with Ben Attendee, how do you think what happens in division impacts you know, what the Blue Jays do? Ooh, good, good question. And, uh, I mean, you have to be able to keep up with the big boys. So if, if you're sending a message to your team, too, if you make a big move, you're sending a message saying, hey, we're, we're in this thing. Like, we're, we're going to bring in the guys that we need to in order for this team to move, keep moving forward. Obviously, the Yankees are ahead of the division, whatever. But wildcard teams make it to the World Series plenty of times. And, and if they're able to get on a hot roll and get some good arms here or whatever player they decide to bring in, if it's going to upgrade the team, then they're going to be good in the long run. Well, here's what we need you to do. A couple things. One is see those guys, you know, Atkins, Shapiro, you're good with them. You look like an agent just be like, listen, I'm hearing the Yankees are in on Atani, Soto, and Castillo. So just, you know, you might want to keep them out of your division. Maybe that'll make them make a move. But also, we're going to work you a little bit harder. You cool to stay for last call? Absolutely. I, mean, I asked you on TV. You said yeah. you have no choice. Yeah, it's a loaded question. It is. Time for Last Calls. We wrap up our week on Tim and Friends. We've got a lot more coming up next, including more with Super Agent Ricky Romero.
to Tim and friends. I got Ricky. I got Donovan. Unfortunately, you have me. But fortunately for you, this is last call and it's going to be fun. <laughs> We're gonna start with swimming. 15-year-old Canadian swimming phenom, sensation, superstar, whatever you want to call her. Her name is Summer McIntosh. Does it again. McIntosh won gold in the 400-meter individual medley at the Commonwealth Games, winning by an astonishing eight seconds. Work. That's a lot in swimming. Her time of four minutes and 29.01 seconds is a Commonwealth and Canadian record. She's also the reigning world champion in the event, she is a superstar and she can't drive. So DJ, what was your greatest accomplishment as a 15 year old? Oh, a couple of things. Eight seconds is a lot in any race. <laughs> like F1, marathon, <laughs> any race, eight seconds is a lot. Yeah. Greatest accomplishment as a, as a 15 year old that I could say on TV? I don't like, not getting thrown out of my house by my parents. Greatest accomplishment, 15. Like, Having a date to the dance, maybe? I don't know. You had a date? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> 15. Rick, you got to be better than that. 15 years old. Wow. I, don't, I, I can't. I, with three kids, I can't. I can't think back that that far right <laughs> wow. now. That's the correct answer. <laughs> Having an NCAA recruit drop off a bag at your back door, <laughs> trying to get you to go to their SEC school, probably. Yeah, no, they weren't doing that back in the day. <laughs> wait, wait, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, guys. One year ago today, the Raptors selected Scotty Barnes with the fourth pick in the NBA draft. The reigning Rookie of the Year is featured on the cover of the latest edition of Slam Magazine. Looking good, the North Star. And an interview published today, Barnes's personal trainer said that he has put on 10 pounds of muscle and is, I quote, exponentially better than last season. Ricky, after hearing that, exponentially, would you be willing to include Scotty Barnes in a trade for Kevin Durant? Raptors fans are watching. DJ's like hawkeyeing me because we've had <laughs> yeah. this conversation before on Twitter and he said he would do it. I don't know if I would, man. I got a chance to watch Scotty Barnes out in LA and he destroyed the Lakers, but who didn't last season? Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know, man. I don't think I, I don't I don't think I would. I don't think I would do it. I just don't okay. know where Kevin Durant, how if he if he would commit to staying here for the rest of his career. I think Raptors fans would agree with that. I thing. think they yeah. would. Okay, continuing with the Raptors. OVO unveiled their new off-court essentials collection today. I don't know why I said it like that. 70-year-old VP of Player Health and Performance, Alex McKechnie, modeling the new gear. It's also OVO Fest in Toronto this weekend. DJ, which Raptors player or staff member would you most like to see make an appearance on stage with Drake? And why is it Masai? <laughs> uh, because you never know what Masai is going to say. A la F Brooklyn. And uh, speaking of modeling, Masai is very fashionable himself, so he would have done well in the OVO gear. It's crazy. You just put an owl on anything, and mm -hmm. it goes up in price, like 5X. Well, the hoodie is $158. <laughs> Shout out uh, to, to Drake for, for the brand. But for me, it would be potential future Raptor, Kevin Durant, Ooh, who enjoys Caravana, so who has been OVO Fest before, and has, has been a topic of Drake's before. Yo, before we leave, I just want to show one of my brothers something. You know, my brother Kevin Durant was kind enough to come to the show tonight and watch us. I just, I just wanted to see what would happen if he came to play in Toronto. Let him know what would happen. so 
the questions. One, did no one else take the video other than that person from the back of the lawns? <laughs> yeah, just one guy. Like, no one That's else it. put it on Vine. Two, that was skinny Drake. Like, that was Drake before he worked out with Scotty Barnes' trainer. <laughs> and he's now exponentially better. But those were good times. David Price was in this city uh, back then. It was uh, amazing. Uh, the world would lose its mind if Kevin Durant came out with Drake with a Raptors jersey on. Oh, man. With his number. Oh, man. And then think, he'd be worried about Scotty Barnes. I think Stephen A. Smith would lose his mind. Like, literally. <laughs> I agree. Okay. Charles Barkley. He's always fun. Uh, ended contract talks with Live Golf and says he will stay with TNT's Inside the NBA. Barkley has said his decision did not have to do with Live Golf being backed by the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund. Barkley has three years and $30 million remaining on his contract and with Turner. And he said, I'm staying with Turner for the rest of my TV career. Who would say no to $30 million? Ricky, would you have looked at Barkley differently had he joined Live Golf? Yeah, it's a very, it's a very in deep. Depth you know what? There. Yeah, because he he's good at what he does in talking basketball. I don't think I would tune in to hear Charles Barkley talk golf. You don't he, want to see him play golf. No, not. I don't want to do that. That's for sure. <laughs> but you know, he's a guy that that he is NBA on TNT and with those guys, Shaq and and uh, and all those guys that sit on set. It's he he brings the fun and he brings a lot of interaction and I just feel like that's where he belongs. That's fair. All right, we talked earlier about the controversy surrounding Kyler Murray's contract, and today at Kansas City Chiefs camp, Patrick Mahomes was asked if he feels he's evaluated differently because he's a black quarterback. The black quarterback has had a battle to be in this position that we are, to have this many guys in the league playing. And I think every day we're proving that uh, we should have been playing the whole time. We've got guys that think think uh, just as well as they can use their athleticism. And so... Uh, it always is weird when you see guys like me, Lamar, Kyler, kind of get that on them and other guys don't. But at the same time, we're going to go out there and prove ourselves every day to show that we can be some of the best quarterbacks in the league. I'm glad you mentioned Lamar Jackson because there's an element of that too. DJ, do you think black quarterbacks are held to a higher standard than their white counterparts? No. I know they are. Like, that's just a fact. That's yeah. just the experience, the rules of engagement of being black or being Hispanic, right? You were judged on a, a different plane. And there is an anonymous uh, report ranking quarterbacks and a bunch of anonymous GMs and executives weighed in. Uh, and when they talked about Mahomes, the criticism was he plays street ball football. With um, Lamar Jackson, it was he doesn't consistently win from the pocket in on third downs. Obviously, we're having this Kyler conversation about his acumen or lack thereof. There's always a but when you're talking about black quarterbacks, so much so that Lamar Jackson, they tried to move the man to wide receiver. So or running back. Yeah, so, so certainly I think no matter the field, there's a higher level of scrutiny when a minority is in play. All right. Now, I don't know if you guys have placed your bets or got your ticket for the Mega Millions in the U.S. Estimated $1.28 billion. That's a billion with a B in the Mega Millions lottery in the States. Up for grabs tonight. Now, Canadians are eligible to win, but tickets must be purchased south of the border. For both of you, what's the first thing you would do with $1.28 billion? Anything? Holy it's $1.28 billion. Buy a sports team. Sure. It would be one. Sure. I'd go halfers with you on that. Okay. Okay, we can go. <laughs> Ooh, I, I think I would probably distribute that money amongst my family members. That's like that. That's a very rational take. Yeah, I mean, but then you still have guys, so much. $1.28 billion. Yeah, what, That's like Elon Musk I'm, money. I'm, you know what? I'm flying private everywhere. 
<laughs> Especially with kids. Uh, Especially with doing kids. the right thing, the New York Islanders, <laughs> for their 50th anniversary, they bought 50,000 tickets. Is that correct? Or $50,000 worth of tickets? Uh, and we'll distribute it if they win the jackpot. So, I mean, I kind of wanted $1.28 million, but that's a good costume. But anyways, yeah. I'm cheering for the aisle and their fans, evidently, their season ticket holders who might, unbeknownst to them, get into some money this week. Guys, thank you so much. I don't have $1.28 billion to pay you, but next time. <laughs> All right, that's it for us. We head into a long weekend. As a reminder, you can find the Jays and Tigers on Apple TV Plus tonight. Yankees and Royals coming up next on Sportsnet. Tim and Jesse Rubinoff will be back on Monday. You're welcome for that. As we leave you, let's take a look back at the week that was on Tim and Friends. It's Friday then, it's Saturday, Sunday, what? It's Friday then, it's Friday, Sunday, what? It's Friday again, it's Friday, Sunday, what? Basil Camisa, Jesse Rubinoff, who you may know from those parts over there. sad. Let's pull up the Ailish Forfar Millennium Hockey card. There she is. Wow. There she is. Future stars in the house. <laughs> These cards came with descriptors oh, on no. the back and your hobbies as well. <laughs> I got bodybuilding listed. Damn right I am bodybuilding. 3'11", yeah. so, 56 pounds, just straight muscle. Yeah. Body mass yeah. index two. two. Age two as well. <laughs> I was a unit. Wow. 84. Cut a little knee bend in there, bud. You're walking like Frankenstein. <laughs> oh, they just gotta be worked in a little bit, that's all. Aaron Rodgers showed up uh, looking like this. Wow. What's this? Slow-mo hair yeah. is like and there he is. sultry. <laughs> Looks like he's about to start singing higher with his bandmates in Creed. Let's go post. Post. Let's so, go posts. Well, I don't want to hit anything. No, nah, it's okay. I've hit so many things here. This isn't my own stick. All right. All right I should have brought it. This has got someone else's name. Coffee. Never heard of that. Are we? No, I didn't mean for that to happen. Oh! Boy! Boy! Can we press that button that makes the noise? Yeah, go figure it out. Uh. Top one. Top one. That <laughs> <laughs> that post right there. Which one is that? You. This is tough. Tough TV here. All right, all right, all right. You saw that? You I saw that? Point? Nothing, though. You saw that? Wow. We got a minute. We can't even stick him. Oh, God, Jesus. Right, are you insane? <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's two for me. That's two for me. Oh, that was so close. You tried. A for effort. We got 30 seconds. Go so I can get one more shot to redeem myself offer. here. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend.